Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. This week's episode takes us to the end of the road deep in the jungles of Costa Rica, where a chance meeting with an old flame leads to an invitation to her tea plantation, where my involvement in a love triangle almost cost me my head. Chucky and the Princess Having just finished a public art commission that took eight months without a break, I'm off for an adventure in Costa Rica. I want to avoid the majority of other American tourists, so I skip the Pacific coast and head out east from San Jose in my rental car toward the Caribbean. Much of the population there is black, and I'm told it has the look and feel of the Caribbean islands. My plan is to drive south once I hit the east coast, all the way to the end of the road at the Panama border to a little beach town called Preto Viejo, a real getaway, traveling to the far end of a dead-end road in the middle of nowhere. The sky is black, and the rain is coming down hard as I head south through mile after mile of banana trees. All the same height, planted equidistant from one another, and each with its own large, clear plastic blue bag protecting the big bunches of fruit inside. Hardly the wild jungle that I'd envisioned. As I arrive in Puerto Viejo and look out to the sea, the sky overhead is incredibly black, but just above the horizon, there's a golden band of light below the edge of the storm where the setting sun is visible. As I drive into the town, the scene is strikingly beautiful. The raking light is casting a golden glow on the dark, rain-soaked thatch roofs buildings and the dense palm cover above. The surreal part is that I've arrived just as the yearly crab migration is commencing. The sandy yards and dirt roads are covered with tens of thousands of red crabs, all moving together, but life in the town doesn't seem to have stopped. They're everywhere, and as I drive, the wheels of my rental car crush countless crabs, and the crunching sound is loud and horrifying. To top it all off, there are dozens of black vultures roosting stoically on the rooftops and railings of the town after gorging themselves on crab meat. It's been a long drive, and after parking, I take a deep breath to savor the smell of the tropical jungle air. As I walk along dodging the crabs below and looking warily at the nearby vultures above, I enter a thatched open bar and take a table. After my first sip of cerveza, I look happily around, knowing that for sure I've come as far from Manhattan as I could possibly be. I finally arrived at my well-deserved vacation. Finishing my first beer, I take stock of the crowd in the bar, mostly black and Spanish locals and a few white people, one of whom is a very pretty blonde, sitting two tables away. Something about her profile seems familiar, and then to my surprise, I realize that I know her. So much for getting away to the ends of the earth. A decade before, when I had an art studio at the Shoe Factory, an abandoned industrial building in Boston, she lived on the top floor above me. She always dressed the hippie, beads, bangles, and jeans, with an unbuttoned blue work shirt showing off her ample breasts and tied at the waist to expose her midriff as well. She was very touchy-feely and flirty, 
but sadly she had a big, burly boyfriend who followed her everywhere. I always kept my distance, even though I was keenly interested. I go over to her table and ask, Sherry? And I'm amazed that she actually remembers me. The beer has loosened my tongue, so early in our conversation, I confess that I've always had a crush on her. Yeah, I liked you too, but you must remember Carlos. He was both jealous and violent. Thank God I'm out of that shit show. We click our beer bottles together in a toast to his absence. She surprises me at this point, saying, Believe it or not, I have a tea plantation in the jungle just outside of town. If you'd like, why don't you come for a visit for a few days? She then smiles and winks, saying, All expenses paid. When I agree, she draws a map on a paper napkin, and I respond, Wow, what a nice surprise. She stands up, gives me a big hug and a small kiss, and is gone. Most of my knowledge of tea plantations comes from travel movies about the British colonies of Southeast Asia. I envision a compound of nicely maintained colonial buildings, whitewashed tree trunks, open verandas with tropical gardens, servants, and plantation workers. Sounds like a perfect place to relax and spend a few days, and maybe even share the pleasures of an old flame. The next day, it's difficult to follow her paper napkin map because I'm driving through a maze of just barely passable dirt road in the dense jungle. She wrote the word swamp near the plantation, so when the road disappears into the shallow waters of a swamp, I guess that I've arrived. In my trunk, I spread over my suitcase, trying to decide what clothes to bring. Do I need some formal wear if I'm going to lounge about on a plantation? Somehow, I managed to flip a pair of my undies into the water below the car. As I lean down to pick them up, a machete comes out of nowhere, lifting them to me, dripping wet at the end of the blade. Completely startled, I jump backwards. The man wielding the machete is very amused at my response. He is short, dark-skinned, with black hair cut on a page-boy-like haircut, and wears a torn t-shirt and tan, ragged, cut-off cargo pants. He points to himself and says, Chucky. Then he points to me and asks, Greg? Once my suitcase is repacked, he insists on carrying it, balanced on top of his head, with his machete in his other hand. He signals that I should take off my wet shoes and roll up my pants, which I do. Then we set off through the swamp at a very fast clip. After half a mile, we are again on a flat, dry jungle path. The land becomes uneven, and we climb up and down a series of small, steep hills. Then Chucky stops, points into the jungle before us, and says, Princess! Through the dense foliage, I can see a tall, multi-storied treehouse cobbled together with various local woods, surrounding the trunk of an even taller kapok tree. This is definitely not the tea plantation house that I'm looking forward to. As we approach, Sherry appears from within and yells, Hello, Greg, and runs up to me with a big hug. As she hugs and hugs, I'm facing Chucky, who stiffens with anger and looks away, so I break free from her embrace. Welcome to Jungle Hill Tea Plantation, she says proudly. I feel like saying, Tea Plantation? You gotta be kidding me. Where's the tea? Where's the main house? Where are the workers and the servants? But of course I keep my mouth shut. So you met Chucky? Did he behave himself? Oh yes, he carried my bags and led the way. 
Then she said, yes, Chucky has many talents, and he's very good at carrying and fetching. He completely adores me. And you know, actually, he's my slave in a way. He'll do anything I want. I take pause as I unpack the political incorrectness of what she's just said. Someone once wrote that people tell you everything you need to know about them in the first ten minutes of knowing them. This was one of those instances. Chucky seems like an unlikely name for him, I say. She responds, Oh, he just loves cheese, that's all. And Chucky Cheese is an American chain, so I named him after that. He calls me Princess. I feel a little weird, not including Chucky in the conversation, but I soon learn that he speaks only Nico, the native language of these parts. Later I do some research and learn that the local natives are actually called the Bribri, but among the residents of Puerto Viejo, they're called the Nicos. She shows me the tea plantation, which beside the tree fort is composed of a couple dozen different kinds of tea plants scattered around the undergrowth on the jungle hillsides. While pointing them out, she complains that Chucky needs to be more attentive to his weeding. She actually snaps her fingers to call him over and then complains in Nico, I'm guessing about the quality of his work. She says to me, everything you see here, Chucky has built. He's an incredibly hard worker. For me, there are now red flags waving everywhere. Firstly, this place is a plantation in name only. Secondly, she describes him as her slave. And then she snaps her fingers to call him over. I say to myself, Greg, you should just have a drink and go back to town. Chucky sadly whimpers Princess's name and then skulks back into the jungle like a dog who's been scolded, while Sherry lightly leans into me and I can feel her breast brush against my upper arm. And that's all it takes for me to decide that I should stay after all. Before dinner, Chucky reappears and Sherry makes him carry a cot from the third floor to the top floor bedroom of the treehouse where she sleeps. He places it at the opposite end of the floor from her bed. This is where I will sleep and where she wants him to know that I will be sleeping. Then she dismisses him. After eating, we retire to the upstairs and I notice that each floor has a ladder and a very substantial trap door to the floor above with locks on both sides. That evening, we sit and share a bottle of wine and some weed in her top-floor bedroom. We're sitting side by side on the couch. Our shoulders are touching, and we're both a little buzzed, so in spite of my feeling sorry for old Chucky and all the red flags that I've noted, I lean in for a kiss. She turns her head away, rejecting my advance, and at that moment, a small arrow, which turns out to be a blowgun dart, shoots into the room and gets caught in the mosquito netting surrounding the couch. Sherry is instantly on her feet, hurrying toward the open side of the room where the dart came from. She screams into the darkened tropical trees in Nico. Then with a powerful flashlight, she searches for Chucky among the treetops. Amazingly, as she does so, I can see dozens of pairs of blue eyes catching the light and glowing in the darkness. Spider monkeys, she tells me. God, I say to myself, I thought we were alone and there's a cast of hundreds watching, including Chucky, or maybe I should say Tarzan. Then she makes a big show of both of us getting into our separate beds just in case Chucky is watching. When I ask if he usually sleeps in her bed, she says, no way, he sleeps on a mat on the floor next to my bed. 
After the lights go out, she invites me to crawl over and join her, which I do without hesitation. The problem is that she sleeps with just panties on, and while I learned my lesson from the rejected kiss and have my back to her, she snuggles up and spoons with me, which is totally arousing. The next night when we're in the same position, she reaches down to see if I am hard, and when I roll face down and groan, she whispers, When I visit you in New York, I promise it won't be like this. I just don't feel right about having sex with you in the house and in the bed that Chucky built. So at least she did have some kind of confused morality, I think to myself. But of course, the same can be said about me as well. Next morning over breakfast, Chucky is nowhere to be seen. I ask, so what did you yell when Chucky was in the trees? She replies, I said that you were only my friend, that you did try to kiss me, but I turned away. And if he continues to behave aggressively towards you, I will go back to America and never return. Wow, I respond. Then I ask, so when he comes back, will I be safe? She says, you will be safe. He'll be back by dinner because he'll be hungry, and I'll make sure you two hug their traditional hug. At that night's dinner, when he does show, she makes a big fuss over him, giving him a warm hug and a big kiss and saying, Oh, Chucky. And he smiles widely, responding, Oh, princess. Sherry then invites him to eat with us. As they speak in Nico, I hear the names Chucky and Greg come up a number of times. At her direction... Chucky and I make friends in the traditional Nico way. She translates his words when, as a peace offering, he invites me on a special jungle tour the next day. At noon the day after, Chucky shows up for our jungle tour. I ask, and Sherry reassures me that it's totally safe, but I'm not so sure at all. Jealousy can be a very violent emotion. With a big, almost toothless grin, he presents me with a machete just like his, which I hope he doesn't want to duel me with. And with serious reservations, I let him lead the way. If he were behind me, I'd be even more nervous than I already am. After a while, he stops and points to a bush, and all I see is a bush. I give him a shrug, he waves his hand close to the bush, and a green snake flies out of the lower branches and quickly slithers away. Chucky smiles broadly, and I give him a thumbs up. Next stop is a large tree, which has a huge termite mound in its limbs. Coming down the trunk are a series of tiny, muddy, tubular rivulets, one of which Chucky breaks a finger-sized hole in, and hundreds of white termites come boiling out. It gives me the chills, and once again, he finds me very amusing. Then he uses his machete to mark the tree with an X, and we move on. After that, there are flying squirrels, 15-foot-wide spider webs, and tiny tree frogs that make amazingly loud noises when disturbed. By a primitive lean-to, Chucky introduces me to a beautifully colored toucan he has tamed, and it carefully eats a nut from my lips. Finally, and best of all, he points up into the treetops and says in English, Black monkey. High above is a large black monkey sleeping on its back on a horizontal limb. When Chucky starts hooting and clapping, The monkey lifts his head and looks down at us, annoyed at being awakened. Then he takes a thick section of a branch and very accurately 
hurls it down at us, just missing me. Chucky is doubled over with laughter. As we walk back, we come to the termite tree that he has marked with an X, and the termites have seamlessly repaired their tubular pathway. All in all, I'm very impressed with Chucky's abilities as a guide, and I'm grateful that I've returned with my head on my shoulders, and that he seems to have truly forgiven me. On the last night of my visit, after dinner, to which Chucky is invited, and then disappears, Sherry and I are again surreptitiously cuddled up in bed together. She whispers, I'm really going to miss you, Greg. I respond that I feel the same way, too. Then she continues, I'm so looking forward to visiting you in New York. And again I agree, but can't help thinking about how mercilessly she uses Chucky and how she most probably will treat me the same way. Suddenly she starts to kiss me, long, deep kisses, but as soon as I get aroused, she pulls away. You'll just have to wait for it until my visit. Then she rolls over and goes to sleep. In the morning, when I'm packed and ready to go, we shake hands goodbye, which Chucky heartily approves of, then puts my bag on top of his head, grabs his machete, and leads me through the swamp to my car, which has only been there for four days, but is covered with lots of debris, spider webs, leaves, bugs, and chameleons, all of which Chucky sweeps off with one hand. I hadn't given it any thought, but realized that I should give him a gift. So then, maybe out of guilt, I dig into my suitcase and pull out a nice bull of a watch that I've had for many years, but I haven't worn it at all in the jungle this week. I help him put it on his wrist and he beams, walking around in little circles in the water, laughing and pretending that he's telling time. I actually tear up a bit. We do one more Nico hug, then I jump in my car and drive away, watching in the rearview mirror as he stands there motionless, reflected in the still water of the swamp. Once I'm back in New York, Sherry and I exchange a few letters, and then, a little over a year later, I receive a letter where she suggests some specific dates for her visit and asks that I send her a round-trip ticket, which I do. I have to admit that in spite of everything, I'm excited at the prospect of finally consummating our relationship, and I plan a bunch of fun events for us to do in the city. A month later, I pick her up on the appointed morning in JFK, and we head for my loft in Soho. As soon as we sit down at my table, she's very excited to show me some of the promotional materials that she's developed for the plantation. Organic Jungle Hill Teas is her brand name. She's had someone mock up teabag envelopes, brochures, price lists, and even advertising budgets. I smile back encouragingly and wish her luck, and then suggest that we head out for our trip to the Met. But she wants some weed and some wine first. As soon as we get a little buzzed and relaxed, she says, I have something I want to ask you, and it's really important to me. I nod. Greg, I want you to invest in the plantation. I'm disappointed because I had a feeling that this was coming all along. When I ask what kind of money she's talking about, she tells me, $20,000, but I'll pay you back every cent. I say, let's go to the Met. And she says, oh, Greg, please, please say yes. And she gives me a big wet kiss, but I put off my decision. At the Met, 
She's cold and disinterested. And that night in bed, when I snuggle up to her, it's obvious that nothing's going to happen unless I agree to her request. It's just a quid pro quo, which I guess was my fear the first time I laid eyes on her again and her sorry little plantation. I feel deeply sad as I drift off to sleep, and Sherry is next to me with her back turned. My fond remembrance of Chucky comes to mind, standing motionless in the swamp as I saw him last. He's back in the tropics now, toiling away to finish the list of chores she's left behind, hoping to complete everything on the list to make his princess happy upon her return. Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who also composed this week's music and made our theme song. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen, and it would be great if you could leave a review. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more info at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story.